Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Gary Kent. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads and, and ask the Lord to be with us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and goodness to us. We thank you for Jesus and for his truth. And Father, we pray that we will be a part of your plan to share the good news of Jesus right here in the heart of Sydney. And we ask that you'll be with us here this afternoon. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you just a, a quick experience. After we finished preaching in Port Moresby, which is the capital of Papua New Guinea, I'd heard that there are still people in Papua New Guinea who do not bury their dead, but they embalm their dead. And so I thought, wow, I, while I'm here, I would like to see if that's true. So I contacted Adventist Aviation Services and uh, they agreed to fly us from uh, Port Moresby along the Kokoda Track to uh, some villages there and then from there into Leh, the second largest city in Papua New Guinea. And uh, we loaded up our plane there and then we flew to a little village called Manyamia. Uh, it's on, in the foothills as you're heading up to the highlands of Papua New Guinea. That's as far as we could go by plane. Then we had to hire a four-wheel drive and drive across some of the, the wildest country and the most inhospitable roads that I've ever seen. Uh, it had rained, the roads were slippery, we got bogged what seemed every, uh, every 10 k's. And so it was get out and dig out of the, out of the, the, the clay. Um, it, was a, it was an amazing experience. It really was one of those areas. Some of the villages we visited, some of the children had never seen white people before. So it was, it was, it was quite amazing to see as we came into a village, the look on some of the children's face when they saw somebody with a white skin. They'd never seen anything like that before. And uh, I can understand how horrified they were <laughs> to, see, to see a wide face. And yet when we got to Aseki, which is the re region where uh, we were headed, uh, we were met by the custodians of, uh, of this area. And so they met us. Um, they gave us sort of a tribal welcome. And uh, then we continued to this village at the end of the road. So the road became a track, and then the track led us to this village. And it was here on this cliff face that the people said, yes, we do still mummify our dead people. And they said, um, we are doing it right now. So we said, can we have a look? And they said, never. No, nobody's allowed into this enclosure where they mummify their dead. Now, they actually do it by smoking their dead. 
So they do it over a fire and there's a whole rigmarole that they, they go through. But they said, we will take you up onto the cliff ledge where we place these bodies and you can, you can have a look at them. So they took us, it was a very strenuous climb, uh, a little track up here onto, the, onto the, the, the cliff face. I said, do you mind if we bring our cameraman, he comes with us, to film this? And they said, no, that's okay. You can take your, take your cameraman. So we climbed until we came up here to this ledge. And then they said, we place our warriors. We smoke them so that they are mummified. And then we, we bandage them. We cover them in red uh, clay, red ochre. And we place them up here so that they can look down on our village. And we believe that they keep our village safe. So I hope uh, what I'm going to share with you is not, um, not too confronting. But uh, we, ca- we clambered up here. We got onto the, onto the cliff face. And then something, for me, quite amazing happened. Uh, one of the men uh, who's standing behind there, um, and you can't see, you can just, let me see if I can point out can you see his face there? So he went and he stood next to one of these mummies and they were so fragile. I was petrified of him, him standing there. And he put his hand on uh, this mummy. And through an interpreter, he said to me, this is my father. And so he said, I feel very much at home here standing next to my father on this cliff face. I'm going to quickly just run through these programs. There you see one of the mummies bandaged there on the, on the cliff face, a closer picture of, of course, the bodies break down. And uh, these are the, the, the warriors of, uh, of this village that they believe are keeping, keeping them safe as they look over over the village. And as we finished our filming and spoke to the people there, one thought kept crossing my mind. What really happens when a person dies? And as I thought about it, there are three main possibilities that people believe right across the world when it comes to what happens after we die. The first is that that's the end. When we die, that's it. It's the end, nothing beyond beyond that. And in our Western society, there are many people who believe that. They have no religious beliefs anymore, and so they believe when you die, that's it. I mean, that's basically the climax or the conclusion of life for anybody who believes in evolution. So if we believe that we are here as a result of chance and the result of millions, if not billions of years of, of, of evolving and evolution, we come to where we are now, 
when we die, that's it. We just become fertilizer and uh, we return back to, back, to, back to the ground. Then there's a second option or possibility. And it's probably the most common of all beliefs regarding what happens when we die. And it's the idea that we humans are immortal. We are immortal and we continue living forever and ever somewhere in some shape or form. So it might be in heaven, it might be in hell. But we continue living because human beings are immortal. In India, they believe that when you die, you, 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 you continue the cycle of life in a, in a reincarnated form. And so most of the, the world's population believe that humans are immortal and that we continue living, whether it be as a soul or in heaven or hell or reincarnated. Then there is a third option. The third option says that as humans, we are mortal. And that the only hope for life after death is resurrection. So those basically are the three options that, or the three possibilities that, that for people on our planet. Uh, people fit into one of those three possibilities. So the question is, well, which one is right? You and I don't know. We haven't been there. Praise God. But what is the reality? What is the truth? Well, friends, I want to suggest that I believe that the truth regarding what happens after we die is found in this book, the Bible. And the reason that I believe that it's found in the Bible is because I believe that this is God's word. And God does know the answer as to what happens when we die. And the reason that I believe the Bible is right and that the Bible teaches the third of those options, it's based on what happened here at Calvary. Because we know here that Jesus Christ was crucified and died. He was placed in a tomb, a tomb that was guarded by Roman soldiers. And then on the third day, Jesus Christ was resurrected. And uh, as a result of that resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this became the hope of the followers of Jesus. And so just let's, let's make sure that we're all tracking together here and we are following along in, uh, in, in, in what the Bible teaches here. When Jesus was crucified, it was the most devastating event 
for the, fo- for the followers of Jesus. Now, here were people who thought Jesus was the Messiah. And they placed all their hopes, everything was based on Jesus being the Messiah. Now, imagine how they felt when he was crucified that Friday afternoon. All their hopes, all their dreams came crashing down. And those hopes and dreams were buried in a rock-hewn tomb that Friday afternoon. It was the end. Their hopes and dreams were shattered, gone forever. But then something happened on Sunday morning. When Jesus was resurrected, that completely changed those early Christians from being devastated and defeated. All of a sudden, they had hope. In fact, they were so filled with hope that they decided to take that message to the end of the world, ends of the earth, because Jesus, the Messiah, had said to them, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive for how long? Forevermore. And it was these words of Jesus that completely changed the early Christians, from being cowards hiding from Roman authority to go out to every village, every town, every city on the face of the planet. And they went because they believed that Jesus, who had been crucified, was now alive and alive forevermore. This Jesus who said, I have the keys of Hades and of death. And so the resurrection became the hope of the Christian church. And so in order to understand this and understand the the enthusiasm, the courage of these early Christians who then went to the world and began preaching everywhere, telling people about Jesus, the Messiah who was crucified but had been resurrected. And their message was that if you believe in this Messiah... This Messiah who has been resurrected, this Messiah who has the keys of death, if you believe on him and accept him as your savior, then you too, even though you may die, will be resurrected. And so this became what Christians referred to as the blessed hope. And so this is what they preached, the importance of the resurrection. For if the dead do not rise, and so here Paul is is arguing uh, for the importance of the resurrection, and he's saying, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And he went on to say, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And so friends, The Bible teaches that we human beings are mortal. We die. And uh, eternal life or life after death only comes by resurrection. And it only comes at the time of the resurrection. Now, we have the promise now. 
We have the hope now. But the reality only happens when Jesus comes and the dead in Christ are resurrected. Now, how do we share this? How do we tell people? Well, first, we need all to be reminded that when Adam and Eve, our first parents, sinned, they brought death into our world. Remember, God had said to Adam and Eve, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat the fruit of that tree, you will surely, what did God say? You will surely die. Now, friends, here is where we need to understand the dichotomy, the, 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 the challenge. God said, the day that you eat of that fruit, you will die. Satan came along, and do you remember what he said to Eve and to our first parents? Did God really say? I mean, are you serious? Did God really tell you that if you take the fruit of this tree that you will die? <laughs> and he scoffed at God and the message that God had given. And he said to Eve, don't believe that. Listen, the day that you eat of this fruit, you will gain true knowledge and you will become immortal. And so, friends, when we look at this issue of what happens when a person dies, we need to decide who we are going to believe. God said, you sin, you will die. Because the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Satan came along and said, no, you can disobey God. You can disobey God and you can live forever. And so, friends, today, this is really the choice that we need to make. Do we believe what God said or do we believe what his enemy Satan said? And so our first parents sinned. And the day they sinned and rebelled against God, they began to die that very day. God said to them, you shall eat of the herb of the field after they'd sinned. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you what? Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. And so God is, has made it very clear in his word, the Bible, what the options are and what happens after a person dies. So when, when we die, we return to the dust of the ground from which we were made. Because you remember Genesis says, and the Lord formed man from what? From the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, what? The breath of life and man, as a result of that combination, man became what? A living being. Some versions say a living soul. All right? So notice here, God formed Man out of the earth, the dust of the ground. And so as he formed man, man was perfect in his form, but he had no life in him. It's only when God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life 
that man became a living soul. So that's what life consists of. Let me put it this way. The body plus the breath of life produces a living person or a living being, a living soul, call it whatever you like. Now, when a person dies, the reverse takes place. You're following me? So now we know how mankind was made. God formed us, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living person. When we die, the the reverse takes place. So a living person, when the breath of life leaves them, they... Return and become just a, a corpse and return to dust from which they, they were made. So notice this is, this is mentioned over and over again in the Bible. Notice what it says here in Ecclesiastes. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit or the breath will return to God who gave it. Job says exactly the same thing. Friends, I'm just pointing out here that this is the message of the Bible. And this is the message that all the Bible writers confirm. Job says, notice what he says. All the while my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. So the word spirit and breath are used synonymously here. All the while my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. So we see here that this is a reminder of how God made us. Put not your trust in princes, says King David, nor in the son of man in whom there is no help. His breath goes forth, he returns to his earth. In that day, his thoughts what? Now, friends, notice the information that the Bible is giving here. When we die, the exact reverse happens as to when life was given. When we die, we return to dust and our thoughts, what happens to our thoughts? They perish. So the dead are not living somewhere thinking, and I say this respectfully, they are not guarding that village in a seki. The Bible says, no, their thoughts perish. Their thoughts perish. So the dead are not doing anything or going anywhere or planning anything because their thoughts perish. And the Bible makes it clear that they are not praising God. For notice what it says here as uh, David says here in Ecclesiastes or Solomon, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know how much? Nothing, nothing. And they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred and their envy have now what? Perished, it comes to an end. And so, friends, we can gather from this that when a person dies, they are not praising God or singing hymns or playing a harp. The Bible says they perish and that we return to the dust. So the Bible says the dead know nothing. And when it says nothing, it means nothing, absolutely nothing. The dead do not praise God, the Lord, nor The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down in silence. So friends, the Bible is very clear as to what happens when a person dies. And throughout scripture, the Bible refers to death as a sleep, a sleep in the grave, 
until Jesus comes and the resurrection takes place. Now, let me just point out that this is the turn that, look at the psalmist here. He calls death asleep. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the what of death? The sleep of death. And so over and over again, the Bible writers refer to death as a sleep. Notice as we, as we read further here, the prophet Daniel, he says, and many of those who, what? Sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So you see again and again, the Bible writers are referring to death, this period between the moment the breath of life leaves us and the resurrection, this period it calls the sleep of death. Over and over again, even Jesus referred to death as a sleep between the time the breath of life leaves the body and resurrection. We all know the story. There was one village that Jesus loved to visit. He never took holidays, but when he got the opportunity, he would go to Bethany. And he went to Bethany because of a family who lived there. And Jesus loved this family. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And uh, Jesus spent a lot of time in their household. One day, Jesus, uh, you notice what it says. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. One day, well, one day while Jesus was many miles away in another part of the country with his disciples, he received a message. The message was that Lazarus was very sick. He was on the verge of death. And so when this message came, Mary and Martha had hoped that Jesus would rush back to Bethany and heal Lazarus before it was too late. But Jesus stayed on where he was. He continued with his itinerary, his routine of preaching. And then he turned to the disciples after some time and he said, our friend Lazarus, what? Sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Now the disciples understood that if someone is sick, and they go to sleep, and that's what they need to do to recover. Sleep is good for recovery for a person who is unwell. And so when Jesus said to the disciples, look, our friend Lazarus, he's very sick, but he now sleeps. But I'm going to wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, don't, don't wake him up. If he's asleep, that's great. He's going to get better. And then notice what Jesus said next. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get well. That's great. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So you notice here that Jesus refers to this period between death here on this earth and the resurrection as what? As a sleep. As a sleep. And uh, we know what happens here. And I love this story because it gives us a preview as to what is going to happen worldwide when Jesus comes. So Jesus now returns to Bethany. 
And uh, he says there, I am the resurrection and the life. Who, he who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. So Jesus is proclaiming this truth that is so vitally important to us as Christians, as believers. And then he goes to Martha and he says, Martha and Mary, I want the stone rolled away in front of the tomb of Lazarus. Now, Martha was horrified. She was saying, no, hold on, hold on a minute. Why would you want to do that? He's been dead for four days. By now, his body will be breaking down, decomposing, and there will be the odor, the stench, the smell of death in the air. Lord, please, don't remove the stone. And then Jesus wept. Now, friends, Jesus wept not for the death of Lazarus because he was going to raise Lazarus. He knew that. So he wasn't weeping for Lazarus, but he was weeping for all humanity down through the ages who will experience the loss of a loved one. He saw Mary and Martha and the heartbreak that they experienced because of the death of their brother. And when Jesus saw that, he wept with them. And friends, let me say this to you today. When we lose a loved one, and I know some of us here have experienced that just recently. When we lose a loved one, let me assure you, friends, Jesus weeps with us. He understands the heartache, the anguish that comes when we lose a loved one. Jesus understands. And so here, when he saw the the heartache, the heartbreak of this family, Jesus wept. And then Jesus continued and he said, remove the stone. And so the stone was removed. Jesus insisted, remove the stone. And then Martha, you remember, said, by this time, Lord, there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. He's been dead four days, Lord. Jesus insisted. And then, remember, he called Lazarus to come out of the the grave. And friends, what happened there is a foretaste of what is going to happen right across this planet when Jesus returns. What happened there in Bethany is going to happen on a worldwide scale when Jesus returns. And so, friends, let me say this to you today. If you have lost a loved one, devastating as that experience is, take hope, take courage. We have this blessed hope that Jesus is coming back again. And when Jesus comes back again, what happened there in Bethany is going to happen in every cemetery across this city and across this country and around this world. Jesus is coming soon. And we are going to be reunited with our loved ones again. My friends, this is the Christian hope. And this, of those three options, is the one that the Bible proclaims. That there is life after death. Absolutely. 
No question whatsoever. That life after death is tied to the resurrection. And it is only at the resurrection where eternal life becomes a reality, when we will be reunited with our loved ones again. And that's why the Bible proclaims this over and over again. Listen to what Paul says. But I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have what? Who have fallen asleep. Those who have died lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So Paul is saying here, I'm going to tell you what happens to a person when they die. Because I don't want you Christians to uh, have no hope as those who don't know Jesus have no hope. He says, we are different. We are different. So he continues then and he says, he says, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel. So he's talking now about the second coming of Jesus. And he tells us what's going to happen when Jesus comes back again. And the trumpet of God, uh, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will what? Will rise first. My friends, isn't that good news? Here is the key to life after death. When our loved ones are buried, there is hope. Absolute hope, genuine hope, hope that you and I can take to heart, hope that you and I can be assured of. Notice what he says here again in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, friends, he's talking about death and life after death. This is what Paul is talking about. Notice what he says. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all what? Sleep. But we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And we shall be changed. Notice he goes on and he says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this what? Mortal. You see, friends, until then, we are mortal. We die. We only become immortal when we receive the gift of eternal life. Now, we receive the gift, that, the promise of that gift here and now. But it only becomes a reality when Jesus comes the second time. Do you follow what he says here? For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. That happens when Jesus comes back again. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Friends, our victory over death rests in Jesus Christ and the resurrection that is going to take place when Jesus comes back again. Then we will say, O hell, O Hades, O grave, where is your victory? Oh, friends, that is the hope of the Christian. That is the hope that must rest in your heart and mine. We do have life after death, not sitting on some cliff face, overlooking a village in some part of the world, remote part of the world. 
We have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And only in Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus is coming soon. And when Jesus comes, the most wonderful reunion day is going to take place when we will be reunited with our loved ones again. From that moment on, there will be no more parting. There will be no more separation because we will live together forever. And that's what Jesus makes clear. He says, do not, Jesus says, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And so, friends, let me say this. Of those three options that I mentioned earlier, only one is taught by Jesus and his word, the Bible. And that is that we humans are mortal. We die. We then remain in the grave, experiencing the sleep of death until Jesus comes and the resurrection takes place. And he gives us then immortality. In reality, we receive that immortality. Heaven or hell, friends, no one, according to the Bible, goes to heaven or hell when they die. They simply remain in the grave until Jesus comes. That's why Jesus says, And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Friends, when Jesus comes, that's when he brings his rewards with him. And those who have accepted Jesus receive eternal life. And those who have not miss out on eternal life. Friends, we are talking about the most important issue imaginable, the most important issue that anyone can discuss right now. Think of the importance of eternal life. What would people give for eternal life if they could purchase it? We would give everything to have eternal life. Everything. That's what we're talking about here. We are talking about the reward of Jesus Christ, the reward that comes from accepting Jesus and knowing him as your savior. Friend, if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and your savior, please do something about it now. Don't put it off. We are living on the verge of eternity. Jesus is coming soon. You and I must be ready. And it is my prayer today that when Jesus comes, each and every one of us here will be found ready and waiting to meet him. And that together we will travel home through those pearly gates, walk those streets of gold, inhabit the mansions that God has prepared for us. You know, friends, God is preparing a place for you. God is preparing a place in his kingdom with your name on it. If you remember that text, John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, Jesus said, 
in my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to what? Prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Friend, think about that for a moment. God has prepared a place for you. And on that place is your name. Your name. It's there. It's as sure as the sunrise tomorrow. The only question is this. Are you going to accept the gift of eternal life so that you can inhabit that mansion forever? Friends, there is nothing on this planet worth missing out on eternity for. Nothing. Nothing. Friends, don't let anything keep you from being ready to meet Jesus when he comes. Look, I know this. Satan will do everything possible. The enemy of souls will do everything possible to rob you of the gift of eternal life. But you know, friends, ultimately, that decision, is up to you. God has done everything he possibly can to give you eternal life. He's given his son Jesus. He's given not the best that heaven has to offer. He's given everything that heaven has to offer. You know, friends, when Jesus left heaven and came to this earth, heaven was no longer heaven. God was prepared to sacrifice everything, heaven itself, in order to offer you the gift of eternal life. He's done everything. And now it depends on you and it depends on me whether we accept that gift. Friend, I plead with you in the name of Jesus Don't let anything keep you from receiving the gift that God is offering you. The gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that when Jesus comes, that every one of us here, everyone, will be found ready and waiting to meet him. And friends, I want to be your neighbor in heaven. Let's plan on it. We'll have plenty of time to talk and meet and discuss things then. We're going to have eternity together. It's my prayer that each and every one of us will be ready, that we'll walk through those pearly gates, walk those streets of gold, and Jesus will point the way to your mansion that he's made for you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and goodness to us. Lord, for us, death, is a terrible thing. Our only hope, Lord, is in Jesus, the resurrected Christ, who has the keys to the grave. And Father, today, as a congregation, as a church family, we want to commit our lives to Jesus. We accept him as our Lord and Saviour. And Father, we pray that you will keep us true and faithful to you. Lord, don't let anything rob us 
of the gift of eternal life. And Father, it is my prayer today that each one of us here in this university lecture theater, with our heads bowed before you, will be found ready and waiting to meet Jesus when he comes. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was made available by Fountain in the City. For more resources like this, visit fountaininthecity.com.au. Sarah Draggett will now be singing It's Up to You. of his iniquities garments filthy black and torn the accuser of the brethren stood contending for his soul I said the Lord rebuke thee and I clothed him in new robes I hold the keys of death and hell my blood pay the price of sin I resurrect to my
to God's Favourite Shepherds, a collection of 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters, with many of the stories ending with a short quiz. Listen now to the author of God's Favourite Shepherds, Bill Ackland. Today's story is about two brothers and their sister who turned white and is entitled The Day My Sky Fell In illustrating that leaders make mistakes. And this story may be found in Numbers 26, Exodus 2, and Numbers 12. My name is Miriam. Today was the most dreadful day of my life. I have been banished from the camp of Israel for seven days. I am sitting on the ground in a small tent that which pitched for me until the time when my expulsion from the camp comes to an end. Seems almost like yesterday when my brother Aaron and I were shown our new little baby brother Moses. We were almost as proud of this lovely little boy as were our parents, Amram and Jochebed. The only sad thing about Moses' arrival was that he was born into a family of slaves. In fact, into a whole nation of slaves. This was because after Joseph died and a new pharaoh came to the throne of Egypt, all the descendants of Jacob were made slaves to do all the hard work that the Egyptians did not want to do. What was frightening for all the parents of the children of Israel was that Pharaoh had decreed that all the boy babies were to be killed. Mother and father discussed what they would do, for they would never give up their beautiful little baby Moses. At first, Mother was able to keep Moses quiet and content in her humble little house. But as he grew, this was much more difficult. Suddenly, an idea came to her, which she thought was at the same time both brilliant and futile. Father thought about it, that it was the only hope of hiding Moses from Pharaoh's soldiers. So he encouraged Mother to go ahead with her plan she would make a little basket boat. As with most women, she was very adept at weaving in all sorts of materials. So it wasn't long before the little basket, complete with a lid, with holes to let the air in, was sitting on the table before us. Mother's idea was that she would weave the basket. Then she would ensure that it was watertight by daubing it with asphalt and pitch, make it comfortable inside, and put it safely among some reeds on the Nile with Moses inside, close enough to shore so that it wouldn't drift down the river. Mother asked me if I would be willing to watch my little brother's boat from a distance away to make sure nothing happened to it. Well, nothing bad happened to the basket boat with my brother baby Moses inside. Just something very surprising and something that solved all our problems. One day, the princess from the palace came to bathe in that part of the river and saw the unusual sight of someone's basket floating among the reeds. One of her maids quickly fetched it for the princess. She was as surprised as I was when she took the lid off and saw a baby smiling up at her. The shock of not seeing his mother made him cry though. Then I can only guess He must have smiled, for he melted the princess's heart, and when I said that I could find someone to care for the baby, the princess agreed. 
Of course, I ran to tell our mother what had happened and to come quickly, for the princess wanted to see her. The princess then asked my mother to look after him, for now this little baby belonged to her. Had it not been abandoned? The years passed quickly, and when Moses was 12 years old, he went to live with his new mother in the palace. We didn't see him much after that, but we knew that he would be safe in God's hands, for our parents had committed him into his care and prayed for him every day. Many years later, when Moses was 40 years old, he suddenly disappeared from Egypt. We heard a rumour that he had killed an Egyptian and that he had fled for his life to the country of Midian. We do not know all the details, but my brother Aaron and I always wondered in the years that followed what our younger brother was doing. Had he married and made a home for himself in that far-off land? Forty years later, when Moses was 80, Aaron 83 and I was closer to 90 years of age, the whole history of our people changed. God had chosen Moses to lead his people out of Egyptian slavery and to go to far distant Canaan, which he had promised to his people right back in the time of Abraham. It took ten terrible plagues for Pharaoh to let our people go, but it finally happened because the plagues devastated Egypt. In the tenth plague, all their firstborn children died and all the firstborn of their livestock. It wasn't all light and sweetness as we continued on our journey to the Promised Land. Although God had done many miracles for his people, many of the people had complained about things that didn't please them, especially when they thought that it was worse out in the wilderness than back in Egypt, even though they had been living under such harsh slave conditions. It was earlier today, the worst day of my life, that Aaron and I became discontented. An evil spirit motivated us to think that we had as much right to speak for God as Moses had and were just as important before the people as was God's chosen leader. I cannot dismiss my words from my mind. This greatly aroused God's anger against us. Has the Lord spoken only through you, Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? I said. Our sin of arrogance and pride was heard and seen by God, for we heard him speak from the cloud that hovered above the tabernacle. When my punishment was meted out, I saw that my whole body was ravaged by leprosy. Aaron pleaded with Moses to pray to the Lord to forgive me, to heal me from a fate worse than death. Moses, bless him, prayed earnestly to God, who heard and graciously answered his prayer for his errant sister. As an unclean person, I still had to remain outside the camp here at Hazaroth for seven days before the whole camp could move on to our next stopping place. I now have seven days to think of my waywardness, to ponder on the fact that it is a dangerous thing to think of oneself more highly than we ought. I should give to the people of God's choosing the respect and deference that is due to them, even if that person is my younger brother, whom I had seen as a new little baby and whom I had minded in his little basket boat back there in Egypt on the River Nile. 
been listening to God's Favoured Shepherds, a book with 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters. If you have any comments or questions, or to obtain a copy of this book, give us a call within Australia on 02-4973-3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.